0: Our topic for the day is Rev the Enrollment Engine, Optimizing Your Website for Student Recruitment. And we are going to reference several data points today from the newly released e-expectations report, which is conducted by Ruffalo Noel Levitz, with whom I imagine many of you are familiar. Uh, For those who aren't, Ruffalo Noel Levitz or RNL, has been in business for 40 years helping institutions with engagement in the enrollment, student success, and fundraising arenas. Uh, And each year they execute a study of the digital behaviors and preferences of high school students. So the 2021 report uh, recently came out and it surveyed over 2,000 students and is really a great resource to understand needs and trends in the digital space for higher ed. So we're going to reference that uh, at various points through our conversation today. All right, so uh, just to introduce myself and Jeff here quickly. So uh, my name is Amy Kilpatrick. I am a product manager here at Mongoose. And before my time at Mongoose, I spent about 10 years with marketing agencies, and I was focused on helping my clients build, redesign, and optimize goal-driven websites, as well as digital tools, their digital advertising, and their social media presence. So I am happy to be talking about web today, and I'll let Jeff introduce himself.
1: Thanks, Amy, appreciate it. And welcome everybody, so glad to have you here. Uh, As Amy said, my name is Jeff Meese. I am the sales director at uh, Mongoose. Uh, been with Mongoose for about three years now. And prior to that, I spent 25 years uh, on you all side of the desk in enrollment management. And I oversaw enrollment management at a number of institutions like University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and uh, Columbia College, Chicago. So very, very familiar with some of the uh, communication opportunities and challenges uh, that we're faced with. Um, and very excited to talk a little bit more about uh, what our students are telling us uh, nowadays with regards to the things they want during their search process. So we want to start our discussion today with really setting the stage uh, about where things are with within higher education right now when it comes to the recruitment of students Um, and when we talk about the frame today you're going to hear us refer to a number of different um, constituencies from uh traditional high school students uh seniors juniors, sophomores, that level, because that's where a lot of this research uh, with the e-expectation report is focused on, but also thinking about the uh, influencers in their lives, parents, other assets that they've gotten, and how those folks are going to be impacting the college search process. So one of the things you all may be dealing with on a regular basis, I remember I was doing this all the time uh, when I was on campus, is how do we continue to stay relevant with the constituents, particularly the um, search process for, a high, for higher education? How do we stay relevant and how do we stay connected with those folks as they are ever evolving and changing? And if we don't stay relevant, then what happens? Do they go to other institutions? Probably yes. Do they go other directions? And then what happens to your enrollment? So the things we need to talk about and really think about today are students and other web visitors um, are, they want different kinds of engagements than we may be traditionally used to, um, meaning that they want information quickly. Um, It's not gonna be a matter of spending a lot of time searching around on your website anymore. Uh, You're gonna lose them pretty quickly. Um, and thinking about our own campus websites right now, what, how big is it? How much information is actually on there? I'm going to be willing to bet that most of you are dealing with a behemoth amount of information on your websites. And how do you get the information that your site visitor wants at that moment quickly and easily? Uh, what kind of tactics and, and ideas are we talking about uh, with that today? Um, how is your website different? I mean, I think that's another big piece to think about, what differentiates you, um, not only how they get to you, but also what it looks like and how quickly they can find information. Um, And the last thing I really want you guys to remember as we talk about this, uh, or have this conversation today, is when you think about engagements, digital engagements with this population, think about how they're digitally engaging with other sites things like Netflix, things like Amazon, they are having a full different kind of engagement than they typically would have with a higher education site. So what do we need to do on the higher education side to be able to change that and get more along the lines that they uh, of the way they're searching for particular pieces of information. So let's start the discussion really uh, with some information and some uh, of the data kind of the core piece of this discussion today which is um, that your website is the number one most influential source for high school students to get information that's what they're saying so this is from one of the pieces from the expectation report Um, and so remembering that if you're going to spend investment not only in time and personnel but also in money um, this is probably one of the places if not the place that you're going to want to do that if you're not already doing it Um, Students are telling us more than one in four of them will leave a website if they get frustrated. So what's frustration mean? Well, frustration simply means they can't find what they want quickly. Okay, so if they're coming in and looking for information about applying, if they're looking for information about scholarships, are you able to get to to that information quickly? If not, they will leave.
0: Yeah. And Jeff, I was thinking about some stats that I have seen elsewhere about attention span of digital natives in this generation. I have seen eight seconds. I have seen four seconds. Um, It's pretty low. And, uh, you know, they really prefer this bite-sized content. Think about social media and the really simple imagery and the memes and the minimal text and short videos This is the world that they live in. It's what they have really kind of come to expect and what they have the attention span for at this point.
1: No, it's absolutely true. And again, you'll hear me reiterate this a couple of times. Amy will talk about it today. That experience that you have yourself um, on Amazon and on Netflix and other curated sites, that is the kind of experience you need to visualize for what your website's going to look like and how it's going to perform for those visitors. That's key to this thought process.
0: Yeah. So thanks, Jeff, for kind of setting up where we are right now and some of the challenges that we're seeing. So we want to get right to talking about what we as higher ed professionals can do with the landscape as it is right now and what are some of the solutions uh, to these challenges so The the very first one is kind of a a general rule, but we're gonna unpack it a little bit. It's keep your web content clean and keep it simple. So we know that web content is often not read, it is scanned. Um, So you wanna keep that text to a minimum and prioritize the visual appeal. I know it might sound a little fluffy, but it is really what is going to capture and keep the attention of your website visitors. So think about the layout of your website pages, and increase the amount of photos, multimedia, you have to have some text. That's just the reality. But when you need to have text, break it up so that it is easily digestible. And remember that visitors to your website are often coming from digital ads. They're coming from social media. So here they have these experiences that really are that bite-sized contents you know, shorter text, more visual, and then they're coming over to your website. And some websites, it's like a novel (laughs) they have to read. Um, It's jarring and you're going to lose them. So try to think about their overall experience and make it a little bit more consistent. So when you're thinking about text, bullets, numbered lists, those are your friend's
1: Yeah, and another piece of friendship that you're going to find out there, if you're not already using it, is going to be video. You're going to hear us talk a lot about video today. Um, Where the focus of it, of course, is going to be on the web environment that we're talking but again when you think about other types of social media and how uh, students are just absolutely engaging in that on a daily basis that's the same kind of environment that you want to create on your website as well so again our traditional video uh, experiences on websites that we've been doing for years in higher education of course have been campus tours and different uh visualizations of what campus life would look like I'm gonna encourage you today to add another factor or another variable to this, which is gonna end up being the regular to-do tasks that you're gonna ask students to do. So for example, if you've got a senior that's going to apply Let's have that senior actually get a video on how you go through the application process. It may seem absolutely strange to so many of us that that we'd even need to do that because we've not done it that way in the past, but that's where your audience is right now. Um, Other places that are very important that you're going to engage video would be things like financial aid, scholarships, that type of information, especially when you've got students that may be first-generation college students that are... T- um, timid anyways about going through a process like that, like a FAFSA form, you can really help them through that uh, by providing a video content for it as well. But again, as Amy indicated before, the key piece to this is keeping your video short and to the point. Okay. That's again, just like they would get the kind of content that they would be taking in when they are getting any kind of other social media kind of information.
0: Yeah. And Jeff, we have, a, we have a question come in, which is timely. So um, I think we'll, we'll tackle that right now. But um, the question is, you know, does research show that digital natives will read longer content if it is oriented to a process they really need to know about. So financial aid, transfer, that type of thing. And I I don't know that I have read any specific research on this topic. Uh, what I would imagine is that yes, they that is more palatable in these specific situations where they really need to kind of walk through these steps. I would still say that we have to get, get it more visual and more succinct than we might normally, especially just it, when they're in the digital space, they're in that digital mode. So they're looking for that stuff really quickly. Um, but yes, I, I think that there is a little bit of room there in those processes. Um, but the other thing, and we'll keep talking about this as we go to, is they have to be able to find that process information when they're looking for it, which can be challenging.
1: Yeah, that is exactly right. And, and Sherry, this is a great question. Thanks for posing it because... Um, again, without, and, and I'm like Amy, I don't have anything specifically I can give you right now on data, but I will tell you that based on experience with, um, working with college students, once you've got them interested in a particular topic. So again, if it's going to be the application process or financial aid process, if there's something that they need to do, yes, they're going to spend more time on it, but that doesn't mean you're still going to leave it at the length that you traditionally would, um, with, with a letter you'd send out or an email, that type of process. Um, so again, 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 it's also on us as higher education leaders to actually rethink the way that we're communicating this information as far as the length of information we're asking them to fill out and and provide. So, yeah, um, yeah, anyways.
0: So continuing on with thinking about keeping your content clean and simple, uh, we we need to talk a little bit about mobile. So, This report also showed that 92% of high school students are using a mobile device for their web browsing some or all of the time. So the days of having a separate mobile experience or maybe not, those days are gone. (laughs) People are browsing the web on their phones and we have to be ready for it. So, you know, what does that mean? That means you need to have a responsive site or a mobile optimized experience That means that content should either be pretty short to begin with on your site, or it should get pared down when visitors are on a smaller screen. And this also ties back to the video discussion as well. And we have a great question related to that as well. So um, optimizing video for mobile. You need to make sure you have a mobile friendly video player whether that's youtube or wistia vimeo there's a bunch of them out there and the rule of thumb for length is no longer than two minutes and yes maybe those two minute videos are better for those kind of deeper dive process questions things you need to walk people through but i would say the shorter the better and that is not just for view time but also for load time People don't have the patience to wait for a video to load either. So you're going to lose them. So lead with that most important content in your video um, and just stay laser focused on what you want that video to accomplish because you're going to lose people throughout that time period. And Think about some of the other factors related to video too. Make your video thumbnail really attractive. Include captions and not just any captions, but captions that are readable on a mobile phone. So they have to be a little bit bigger. And if there's something that you want people to do after watching that video, be very clear about that too. Put your CTA really front and center.
1: The other thing I'm gonna encourage folks to think about when it comes to building out your video content, um, think about how you could use your current students as part of that process. Because again, when you talk about prospective students, they are looking for folks like them who are taking them through steps and they're looking for authenticity from you. And then there's a trust level that comes more so for a current student necessarily than it would be for one of our staff on campus. So think about how you could use current students in that process as well. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, again, some of the video and some of the front end pieces that uh, the website or your website really needs to be looking at. But the other thing you've got to think about is how are you getting students to your website? Okay, and if you think about what our students are telling us right now, 57 percent of students find college websites via search engine. 57%, okay? So what does that mean? That means that you need to be tied into search engine optimization or SEO, okay? You've gotta make sure that students can quickly and easily find your information when they do a Google search, when they do any other kind of search that's out there. Um, And they're gonna be asking and and putting in different search terms, um, depending on the students, depending on the major, that type of thing. So you need to be aware of common search terms, especially when we talk about things like financing, So if they're looking for tuition costs and scholarship options, that type of thing, really think about how you're framing the language, because again, how are they gonna be thinking about financial aid? Are they gonna be thinking about a scholarship specific to the name that you've given that scholarship on campus, or are they just gonna be typing in scholarships and and trying to find that information there? The same can hold true when we talk about, uh, and maybe even more so, programs and majors, okay? This is probably one of the biggest areas that you guys really need to look at or we're gonna encourage you to look at because of the fact that you can be naming your different uh, programs and really cool programs, multidisciplinary programs, those types of things that are gonna be fantastic opportunities for students. But if they don't know how to find it, that you have it, they're not going to find a match for their particular, uh, for what they're looking at as far as finding a school. So think about how you're using naming constructs when you're building out new programs in the first place, but then once those uh, programs are built out and you put them on your site, how else can you have, can, have find, can students, excuse me, can students actually find that information
0: as well? Yeah, so when we think about search engine optimization and, and some of the information that Jeff just shared, we're starting to get a sense of keyword lists, words and phrases that are important to our website visitors. And I think maybe when some people hear about keyword research and SEO, they think, oh, I have to hire an agency and this gets really technical and there's a lot of coding. That definitely does not have to be the case. Beyond what we know people are searching for through our common sense as higher ed professionals, you know, what are some other ways that you can do your own little key keyword research exercises. Um, One is just typing in your institution's name in the Google search bar and seeing what long tail phrases come up. And that tells you what other people are searching. So file those, those things away. If you have Google Analytics on your site, go in and take a look at the search report. Uh, take a look at the the terms, take a look at the top landing pages where people are coming into your site from organic search. That's going to give you some clues as to what they are probably searching for that is sending them to those pages. Um, And then if you have a site search on your website, that is just gold in terms of keywords because it tells you exactly what people are looking for when they are on your site. And all of that information goes into kind of building your own keyword lists for SEO and another thing that I would encourage people to think about is voice search. So people are using Alexa, they're using other tools like that. They're going to phrase those questions differently than they would if they were typing into a search bar. So think about those same topics in the form of a question and incorporate those as well. So you've got this this good list of different keywords and phrases, you know what do you do with it if you are not an SEO? Uh, technical person, right? Um, so, some things that you can actually do with that is, as you're developing new content, as you're revising content, get those keywords and phrases into your content, but do it naturally. So you're not just plugging them in there. You actually need to answer those questions and address those topics. And if you're not, then that's a that's a uh, area for improvement with your content. Um, Metadata, this gets a little bit technical, but all these images and videos that we're talking about, there is metadata. There is right up on the back end of those uh, multimedia pieces that you can incorporate keywords and phrases into. And one of the best things that you can do for SEO ranking is keep your content fresh. So a lot of people do that with blogs or news You can do it by swapping out different multimedia pieces or just updating little text blurbs. Um, That is going to help you quite a bit in your rankings. And then last but not least, we talked about prioritizing content. If you can get the things that people are most wanting to search for into your navigation in the words that they use, that is going to really benefit your, your rankings.
1: Uh, it's true. Um, And I just want to tap on to some of that information that Amy was talking about. One of the biggest areas that time and time again, people will ask about is how often should videos be updated or how often should you be putting videos out there on something like a YouTube or whatever? Um, The more, the better, again, within the constraints of what you have as far as resources. But the reality ends up being if you just put one video out there and expect that that's going to keep people engaged with you, that's just not gonna happen. So making sure that you keep that content as Amy talked about up to date as they're going through the process. Uh, And I think Amy's uh, overview there, um, hopefully gave Jessica, uh, we got another question from Jessica um, about uh, what kind of tools that are out there. I would say, and Amy talked about this a minute ago, if, if you're going one particular place, it would be Google Analytics would probably be one of the core places to start. What do you think, Amy? Yeah,
0: definitely. I mean, the ones that I gave you are kind of easily accessible to anyone, regardless of your, your background. Uh, Google has a lot of different keyword research tools. Um, Some are paid, some are free, uh, but you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to get super technical to, to start kind of getting an idea of some of these keywords.
1: Yeah, and we have one more question here real quick that, that uh, Amy and I can, and can approach for you guys. Uh, what is a good number of new windows being open while being on a website? Uh, I know some students have uh, vocalized about too many windows being open, and that can be frustrating as well. I would agree with that. I mean, if you can um, limit the number of windows that have to be opened at any one point in time, if they're looking at different videos, different opportunities, that's a great thing to do. The other thing, and we'll talk more about that later, is there are tools that are available um, in which you can have a video as part of it. And for example, is something like a chat bot where you don't have to open windows. You just literally go in stay in that particular chat with that bot. And you're able to have your video um, up and live without opening up more windows on there as well. But uh, yeah. let me ask Amy, what's your thoughts on those?
0: Yeah, it's definitely a best practice to kind of keep people focused in one window. And again, as we're talking about how many people are using The web on their mobile phones, there's not a really easy way to switch between tabs and windows like there might be on a desktop browser so uh, I would seriously limit the number of tabs or windows that, that you would need as much as possible.
1: Absolutely. That's a great question. So the next uh, part of this that we wanted to talk with you all about um, has really to do with an understanding of what is it that our students are telling us, again, what we're seeing with the RNLE expectation report, what are they telling us are the key areas or pieces of information and content that they're looking for. So before we go down this path, we wanted to offer up and and wanted to share a poll with you all. What what topics are prospective students uh, looking for as far as information? Programs, costs, scholarships, admissions requirements, campus life, graduate outcomes, and others. What are the top ones you all think uh, that are out there? And boy, this is coming up pretty clear. Number one, um, by meh. Uh, By a bit uh, would definitely be programs costs scholarships are up there as well and admissions requirements so um, well well done all because uh, that's that's basically what we're seeing uh, as far as what students are telling us as well so. Um, some key pieces and topics that they're really going to be looking at, um, number one really is going to be programs, as you guys looked at in the poll. Uh, cost scholarships, those are all variables that people are going to be considering. And again, if you take a look at not only what we saw with the expectations reports uh, w- report when it comes to um, that the students are saying, but also what the students thought their parents were looking for, so their influencers, right? So they're looking for scholarship information as well, and how easy is it for them to find that? information from you. So um, the things to take a look at and what they really the hands down that they gave us was uh, they want to be able to easily find programs and degrees that you offer. Okay. Uh, again, the use of meta tags for harder to understand majors or harder uh, framing as far as the language of the majors. Um, But again, always thinking about your naming constructs when you go out there and you're putting your majors and and information out there. Um, They want to be able to easily um, be able to find academic programs. They want to make sure this information is very easy to read and find. Uh, And then, of course, cost and finances are the other piece of it. The downside, things that uh, they really disliked, students disliked in the process of websites they'd experienced uh, was going to be, again, hard to read pages. Um, they also uh, were really struggling with hard to find programs and degree offerings. Of course, none of that is a surprise based on what the things they liked. The opposite was, was basically um, they, they, as hard as it was to find that information. That was really a struggle for them.
0: And a couple of other things that were mentioned in the report in terms of priority topics. Uh, Beyond cost, uh, some interest in return on investment, so talking about graduation outcomes and career opportunities, and then also what it takes to get in and what it will be like once they are there. So, you know, these are the topics that you can make sure you're addressing on your website, but you want to make sure you're addressing in all of your various communication channels.
1: The other thing that we're gonna recommend for you is to seriously think about the differentiation between your different audiences. Again, as we mentioned earlier, um, you're gonna have sophomores coming to your website, you're gonna have juniors in high school, you're gonna have seniors and they're gonna have their parents, okay? They're all gonna be looking for different levels of information based on where they are. For example, uh, we saw from the data that that uh, sophomores really did wanna see more of the early videos. They wanted to see what campus life looked like. They wanted to get a feel to see if it was something that matched what their desires were as far as education was concerned. Versus when you get to seniors that are going through the application process themselves, they're going to be very, very focused on cost, the application process, that kind of information, verifying the major uh, and the kind of programs that you offer. So those are the kinds of of frames that I want you to think about uh, when it comes to the different audiences that are going to come in and visit visit your website as well.
0: Right. Yeah. And we're really kind of crossing over here into talking about com flows and com flows for different yeah. types of audiences, whether that's email or text or all the other ways that you communicate. Um, these, these are topics that are, are relevant, you know, well beyond the web sphere. All right. So we've talked a little bit about keeping content clean and simple. We've talked about prioritizing content, Uh, The other thing that we need to talk about is how do you make information really easy to find on your website. So we've talked a little bit about the complexity of higher ed websites, and that is so true. And it makes sense because there are so many different stakeholders involved in a higher ed website. They each have their own goals and objectives. There is just a wealth of information that is needed by all of these different audiences. So when you put it all together, it can make for some pretty confusing website experiences, especially for students who are doing this for the first time, or, you know, they have these expectations about digital experiences that are are just not being met um, on these websites. So uh, we're gonna take another quick poll here in your experience. How easy is it for visitors to find content on your website, be honest. I'm sure we have websites all across the board here.
1: I literally never wanted to be honest about this because I hated <laughs> to think about what it was. Oh, I
0: know. Mostly some people in the middle. Sometimes it's okay for people to find what they're looking for, sometimes not so much. Um, there's our nice bell curve there. So, so yeah, again, not surprising. This is a challenging feat for higher ed websites to, to help um, their visitors in so many different stages of their process find what they are looking for. So, um, you know, back to SEO that we talked about earlier, that's really going to help you here with allowing visitors to find what they're looking for because a lot of them are coming right from the search engine and they're typing in these longer phrases tuition at such and such university. And hopefully if you've got your SEO in a good place, they're getting right to that page. They don't have to land on the homepage and try to figure out where to go from there. You are bringing them right along to the content that they're looking for. But say they do get to your site and they land on the homepage and they're trying to figure it out. So you just want to make your navigation as clean and as simple as possible. And to Jeff's earlier point, don't use the words that you use (laughs) as an institution. Use the words that they use as students and as parents. And that is going to help them kind of translate what what we are talking about in, in higher ed speak. And we've also talked a little bit about site search. So you do wanna have a site search on your website and you want to hopefully have a smart search. So uh, we have a stat here from the report that says 93% of students rated on-site searchability as important to very important. So what does a smart site search look like? It means that the search box on your website is user friendly. Uh, Pull it up on your phone and see how it is as an experience on mobile. Is it big enough? Can you type in it? Are you fat fingering it? Make sure that it works well on mobile. And the smart part is really the autocomplete, the autocorrect, any filters or facets that you can have them uh, help with their search. Again, that's what they're used to. (laughs) They're used to being able to type and have some typos and have the technology correct them. So if you can incorporate that into your site search, that is great. And keep an eye on that results page. Make sure the results page is intuitive, that it's helpful, And this data, as we spoke about earlier, is really, really critical to your strategy, your content strategy. So use it, uh, analyze the data, do things with it, let it inform your strategy.
1: That's true. And and the next phase or next area that we're gonna talk about actually hits on really nicely with the question we just got uh, from an attendee, Uh, any advice for smaller institutions, for example, um, community colleges that might not have full-time staff to take care of the website, uh, what are some of the first things that they should work on fixing? And uh, we'll talk about that at the end of our discussion today as far as immediate takeaways and quick wins you could do uh, with this process. But one of the first, one of the options that you have available to you um, is uh, this next area that we wanted to talk about, which is Um, the emergence of chatbots onto the scene when it comes to websites uh, within higher education. Chatbots and chatbot technology and functionality has been around for quite a while, seen more in the business-to-business or B2B area uh, than you would typically see in higher education, but it's really starting to take a much greater hold within higher education now. Um, And one thing before I go too deep into this, one thing that I want to go back to the question, I think one of the things that has to be done on any institution is you have to prioritize Uh, not only staff time, but resources into the areas that's gonna get you the greatest return on your investment. And that means potentially stopping doing certain things that you've been doing for years because they're just not working. And that means enhancing other areas. And so if you don't have a lot of resource put behind your website as an institution, I think that's a big topic for leadership to talk about and really take a look at how they need to reorganize and redistribute um, funding and resources in order to really focus on where you're gonna get the greatest bang for your buck. I always talked about this on our campuses when I was when I was on campus which is something like a viewbook, things like that that are traditional uh, admissions environments and the tools that we use they just no longer they don't work like they used to and so take the money and resources that you're using for a viewbook for example and put it into your website put it into to staffing, whatever it may be as part of that process. And lastly, I think in some cases, I think it's important that you take a look at, and Amy and I talked earlier about the fact that you're not only always going to have to go out and find an outside vendor to help you, sometimes that is what you need to do. So sometimes it is going to be an opportunity that you need to go out there um, because you just flat out don't have the resources on campus. So go and find somebody who could who help you and somebody you trust to go through that process. So let me step off of my soapbox about that for a moment with funding, because that's always been one of those issues for me. Um, But again, as we go back to the conversation about chatbots, as far as a resource, if you are not in the chatbot or using a chatbot or considering a chatbot, you are actually already behind in the process because students are saying that they do expect an engagement or an option to engage with you via the website through a chatbot. Okay, Um, and it's something that, again, part of the reason that we use chatbots or they're available is because it provides 24-7 resources and services on your website that you don't always get, because um, if it's just all staff based, staff don't work 24-7. So it gives you that opportunity to be able to go in and have full functioning engagement with site visitors throughout the day, 24-7, especially if you're recruiting internationally and you've got different time zones you're dealing with the whole bit. That's all important. So chatbots, one aspect of it, but the other variable that we saw a lot of of, uh, movement, if you will, as far as from the 2019 e-expectation report to the 2021 had to do with live chat. Okay. And what we saw was that 73% of students um, very much um, wanted to engage or or were expecting live chat. That moved up to 80% in 2021. Okay, so again, students are telling us this is the way they want to engage with you or have this option available to them on the website so that they're able to move forward with that process. Um, if you think about it, half the juniors and seniors said they used a chatbot to engage with the school um, uh, with their website just to get information, if you will. Um, and if you also think about it, when we talk about a chatbot, chatbots are designed to be able to take in information from a particular site visitor, and then get them directly to the information that they need to have uh, on that, again, behemoth website. So it's stuff to think about when you when you take a look at the potential of a chatbot.
0: Yeah, I, I think about this discussion about the most bang for your buck and, you know, what should I tackle first? And I, to me, a chatbot on your website is kind of an insurance policy. <laughs> um, maybe your content could be better. Maybe your navigation could be a little bit better. Or maybe you wish your staff had more time to optimize your website. A chatbot can help plug some of those gaps, um, whether it's for a short term or whether it's for a longer term, but just to help people find what they're looking for. So I want to spend a little time talking about what chatbots and live chat look like specifically in the enrollment and recruitment space. So one of the, most important things is that it lets students identify the topics that they want more information on and kind of customize their communication accordingly. So instead of just hitting them with everything that you think they should know, it kind of fields their questions and helps kind of guide them along the path. So again, think about personalization and curated content that they're used to in the digital world. They want relevant information for them and where they're at and they expect that so we know what those interest areas are we can put that information front and center and the biggest takeaway here is you know there's a lot of tools out there in this space but you really want to look for a tool that is not going to provide that one size fits all experience because as we talked about you have so many different audiences with so many different needs at so many different stages of the journey on your website. If you're answering the same question to all those people in the same way, you're not creating the experience that you want to. So when we look at tools out there that are more of a FAQ bank, this database of questions and answers, you're not going to get that personalization that you um, are really looking for. You want something with more more customization, more kind of flow-based um, conversations. So, so personalization is huge for chat in recruitment. And another is that visitors can raise their hand really easily when they are engaging in a chat bot conversation to get connected with a live person. So, live chat and chat bot, and and what are what is the difference, and uh, and what is better? And I would say you need both because. Live chat is great. It's great for when people need that extra hand holding and have very specific questions and want to make that connection, but you're not going to be able to do that all the time. And you're not going to be able to do it at one in the morning or um, on a holiday. And nor do you want to spend all your time engaging with people that maybe have some of those higher level questions that you can just let a chat bot get out of the way. So you need both (laughs) would be my message. And if you're only doing one or the other, you're kind of missing uh, a part of of the puzzle there.
1: We're talking about, again, that flexibility to go back and forth between a chat function and and live chat function in a bot kind of scenario. Uh, The technology is there. It's available to be able to do that. It wasn't always available to do that. Usually, I mean, uh, old ways of thinking was just simply a chat functionality or you'd have a bot. Well, now when you bring those two together, it really does offer, as Amy just indicated, that flexibility to your site visitor to engage the way they want to, keep them interested in that process. Another
0: thing that, that that makes me think of really is when we think about turning the web channel, which really has been kind of a broadcast, like here's what we got for you. Take it or leave it into a two-way communication channel. I also think about forms <laughs> and the RFI form, especially, you know, such an important thing for most enrollment uh, professionals, but it's just not getting the play that it has in the past. Of these These people are not interested in filling out forms anymore. Um, They're not going to take the time to do it. They don't know what they're going to get for it. They want an answer right now. That's the experience that they're used to. They are willing to share their info. That's not the problem. It's just the way that we are trying to capture it. And so a lot of folks out there are using their chat tools to collect information about prospective students as well, name, email. Um, opt in for further communications. So that is really great in terms of identifying those stealth chatters, those stealth applicants. They might not want to fill out the form on your terms. They want to do it on their terms. And so that can be really, really powerful. I, we spent some time talking about chat and, you know, it's, it's near and dear to our hearts at Mongoose. Uh, we do have a number of clients using our virtual assistant chatbot, which is called Harmony. And just to kind of get back to some of these use cases for the enrollment space, uh, many of our enrollment clients are are seeing about 20% name and email capture on their chats. So they are getting those people into their CRM and able to continue conversations with them as well. They're seeing about an 80% self-service rate. So 80% of the visitors are able to get the answers they need from a bot. They don't have to be escalated to a human unless they really would like to. If you've
1: got a bot option to collect information uh, from prospective students, uh, and you have so, a, a stagnant form RFI that we're very tra- traditionally accommodate. Familiar with, um, you can literally have those things anywhere as long as students can get to the information that they need. This is why we're really talking about this bot functionality different than the RFI because that bot can be sitting on any part of your site that you want it to be on. And so at any point in time, you can be collecting information. It's not hidden in one place under the admissions like an RFI would be or wherever. So the bot gives you that flexibility that potentially with an RFI, you just don't have right now as part of that. So I know we've been talking a whole lot about uh, the whole admissions environment and especially when it comes to Harmony and what we're doing with enrollment. But the other th- the other thing I want you to remember is when we talk about bot technology and specifically with Harmony, you're looking at um, other departments or areas that would be engaged with it that just don't have a heavy lift. They just don't have the kind of lift that you traditionally would with other parts of the website. Uh, for example, IT just does not have to spend the kind of time uh, when you've got the bot engaged in it that they've t- t- typically had to do in the future in the past. The other thing is you ought to think about your current students. So we talked a lot about prospective students, but what about your current students? The website is still one of the top places that they're getting information about what's going on on campus. And if they need resources like counseling, academic advising, whatever it may be, this is another tool that you could be using this bot to help with. Because again, if you've got limited staff or uh, just other resources that are tight for you right now, which many of us do, um, this bot really can help out with that process as well. One of the things that this bot technology offers you that we just haven't had in the past is the kind of data and analytics that are going to be very, very, very specific to your institution. And why is that important? Because as you hone in your website, maybe you want to redesign it at some point in time. Maybe you want to really... um, key refocus uh, staff attention in different areas and have the bot take on that that information. You need to have data to support that decision, right? If you have to share it with leadership and you need to get uh, financing for it, whatever it may be, by having a bot available to you, you now open the door to specific kinds of information like uh, what type of information are people specifically looking for? Yeah, we can have the expectation report every year or every couple of years it's going to give us this. But let's talk about specifically your institution. What kind of data are your site visitors telling you? You have that in the palm of your hands with this with this tool. Um, And so, again, thinking about this kind of investment is also going to be a very strategic and data-driven environment um, that we've all talked about wanting to get to as well.
0: Take a look at some things that maybe you don't typically think of. What is your form abandonment rate? How many people are landing on that RFI form and not completing it? That might give you some clues. What is time on page look like? What about the average number of pages per session? Those are things that we typically think, oh, yeah, if they're spending a longer time on the page and they're navigating around to a bunch of different pages, those are good things, right? And I think, ooh, maybe that indicates that they're having a hard time finding something if they're spending too much time, especially knowing what we know about Um, the demographics and and what they're looking for and experience. And then also exit pages. So where are people leaving your website? And what does that tell you? Are they getting the answer? And that's why they're leaving? Or are they frustrated? And that is why they're leaving. So all of this good data helps inform your uh, website content strategy and, and beyond your website as well.
1: What kind of uh, additional data are you getting beyond the other kind of analytics that are out there? So typically you would, examples that we would talk about, um, would be things like most common pages where people engage. Okay. So again, specific to your website, not general, specific to your website, where are the students and the visitors going to and what pages are they engaging in? Who are the visitors? Do you know right now who's visiting your website? Like really know who's visiting? Um, that's part of what you see with your, um, with your bot experience as well. From what they share with you as far as particular pieces of data that you'd normally get with your um, request for information, now you're getting it right there with your bot. Also URL. You know where they're coming from as far as location across the country, around the world, based on their URL. That's another piece of very, very important data that's out there for you. Questions and topics that are asked of the virtual assistant. So what is it that they're asking the chat bot very specifically? Was it the kinds of questions you thought it was gonna, they were going to be asked? If not, you can make adjustments and tweaks to that to improve that engagement with the bot and those visitors on the site. And where are people getting stuck? Where are they raising their hands? Like if they're having an engagement with the bot and very early in those conversations, they're asking to talk with a human, maybe that's an indicator that there's some additional tweaks that that could be done to your bot. But again, the point of all of this is it's not a stagnant process. So whenever you talk about, especially with Harmony, when you're talking about a bot build. Our team is actually there working consistently to improve it. It doesn't just get done and let's sit on your website. It's about an improvement based on the statistics and the analytics that are coming through as well.
0: I think I would just add on to that, that the the depth of information that you can get Um, from, from bot analytics is, is really unique. And I think we would all be surprised what people are comfortable asking of the bot and talking to the bot about, you know, this is, this is the life that they live in. So you get some insights that you probably didn't expect, but are really useful because people enjoy engaging with bot.
1: So let's talk a little bit about um, the, um, what we can do right now in this process. Um, And what does that look like as far as next steps? I know that was one of our questions earlier today. For institutions investing in site design, make navigation, search, branding, and chat priorities. Again, this is really all about your, um, uh, where you are right now and what processes you're going through uh, when it comes to um, uh, your site, your website. What are you doing right now to continue to improve it? Um, And I'll let Amy uh, touch a little bit more on that as well.
0: Yeah. So, you know, if you're in the middle of a site redesign, all of this is great, but what if you're not in the middle of a site redesign and you just want to make some quick fixes and improvements Um, so this is what we've kind of gathered for you in terms of what we think some quick wins are so as you're creating new content great remember all these principles that we talked about today but your content right now slim it down a little bit just slim down the text try to pare it down you can do it i know you can Uh, And um, increase the image size. That seems like a little thing, but uh, it it helps people digest and helps with the visual appeal. You can work on prioritizing your content. You know something is based on your research or what we've talked about today, a little bit more important, bump it up, make it a nav item if you have that power to, to do that incorporate video. We all have videos out there. Maybe you think, oh, this is, you know, this is just something we use on social. It's not good enough for the web. It's good enough for the web. It really is. It's it's what people want. It's what they're used to. It doesn't have to be highly produced. They don't want it to be highly produced. They want it to be authentic and real. So, um, so use it, recycle it, um, get more legs out of the video that you have. Uh, keep your content fresh. It doesn't have to be anything major. Just make little tweaks here and there to, to refresh it. And the search engines are going to recognize that.
1: And then the other piece we really want you to think about is again, investigating chatbots. This could be a short-term or a long-term kind of investigation for you as you go through it, but this chatbot, um, technology is here to stay. And it, again, as we talked about is in fact, a, uh, uh, desired, uh, engagement for your site visitors. And again, it doesn't matter what population or group, whether they're high school uh, students looking to, um, engage and get more information or whether it's their parents or other kind of uh, influencers that are tied in there as well. Uh, And then lastly, investigate site search options. Okay, so what other options or what kind of information? We talked a little bit about that today, about ways that you can get yourself better on there. We've talked about SEO, that type of information, but site search options are another key piece to it.
0: Uh, Any tips for a graduate college website? Jeff, you want to?
1: Yeah, let me yeah let me start with that um again i think that it's important to remember that what we're talking about when we things when we talk about things like bots or or virtual assistants um those are pretty standard across the board doesn't matter what kind of whether it's undergraduate or graduate as you go through that process one of the questions we get a lot from folks has to do with um well is there a differentiation between a traditional age college search process for undergrad versus a returning your adult or a graduate environment uh, process and how they're going to engage on a website? And the answer really is there's not a very big difference at all. Because of the fact that when we think about our day to day lifestyle and what we do, again, I'll harken back to our discussion about Amazon and Netflix. It doesn't matter whether you're a graduate student or an undergraduate student, you still engage in those processes. And that's the expectation you have when you're going to engage with a website. So, as far as a graduate website is concerned, um, I think that the key part of it would be is consideration of getting into bot technology in some way, shape, or form for you. Um, and the SEO. The program information that we talked about today, those are all absolutely critical as well. So I think you could take um, pretty much everything we talked about today and you could also shift that over into the graduate world as well.
0: Yeah, I would echo that. And also Tim had a question about transfer students. So I think that the topics are probably different, right? And and you're going to want to do some work on making sure that you know what those topics are that are important for those different audiences, grad transfer, um, international, all of that. But the principles apply and the expectations really do um, apply with what people think of for digital experiences today.
1: Absolutely. And I see Sarah um, ask a question having to do with advantages between bot uh, versus virtual assistant. What are the differences? Um, and the reality is, is most of it is our vernacular um, because what it is is a chat bot traditionally is in fact that bot that you see on, on the site. But when you talk about chat bot, live chat and potentially calendaring processes that's when you think about a more broad virtual assistant kind of experience because it's not just one piece to it it's multiple pieces so um, that's when we think about when we talk about virtual assistant versus chatbot that's really what we're talking about
0: yeah i would agree so a more traditional chatbot tends to be that kind of faq experience that i described a little bit earlier there's a bank of questions and answers on the back end it just kind of queries it um, and, and that really kind of ends there, um, whereas a virtual assistant is, is going to take them on more of a journey, kind of hold their hand through processes, personalize their experience a little bit based on who they are, and actually, uh, ideally, help them complete a task that they're there on the website to, to complete. So not just give them an answer, but kind of like shepherd them through. So that's really kind of the, the assistant um, aspect.
1: Um, And Sherry um, posed a great question and one that I think everybody is challenged with at some level uh, at some point in time, which is, um, you know that web is important investments and yet you have to convince your leadership or you have to convince other folks on campus about that investment as well. What would we do or what kind of suggestions would we have about that? I think the number one suggestion, because there is a lot of information out there about, about it, is take a look at what your students or prospective students are saying. So the e expectation report would be one of the top things I would tell you, or reports like that, that I would tell you to share with your leadership team uh, at some point in time to say, you know, we are all about making data driven decisions and what the data data is telling us right now is that the website is the number one place where people are coming in to get information about our institution. And so we need to pay a lot of attention to it and we need to invest in it. So I think data is really going to be one of the key aspects and, and there's, there is data out there to be able to help you with those discussions.
0: I think another thing that comes to mind for me when I think about websites is you know, I'm sure everybody has different kind of budgets for their digital media and marketing, um, even even email. Um, A lot of those sources, those channels that you are pumping money into, they end up on your website. So if you're putting the money there, and then ignoring the destination, you're really kind of missing the mark. You're, you're kind of cutting yourself off at the ankles. So yes, you're going to spend money to get people to your website. And you need to spend money to make sure that their experience is top-notch when they get there.
1: So thank you again for everything. Uh, again, you can also connect with us on LinkedIn. And you also find us at uh, mongooshresearch.com is another place very quick and easy to to get a hold of us. Uh, But I think I speak for Amy. If you have some follow-up questions from this, best way to do it is really hit us on LinkedIn. Uh, Happy to chat with you and and talk a little bit more about what kind of opportunities you've got uh, when it comes to your website, opportunities with your website, um, and, and where things can go in the future.
0: Would love to hear from you guys. Thanks again for your time and best of luck to each of you. Have a great day.
1: Thanks, everybody.